0: Welcome back to season five of That's What She Did podcast. We're dedicated to amplifying the voices of the women leaders, innovators, and rebels you don't already know. We highlight everyday women who are impacting today's social issues, while also centering the voices of women of color. In short, we curate the stories of brilliant women. This season, we're bringing you Women Who Disrupt. Each episode, you're going to hear from an impactful and inspiring woman who push your thinking, challenge your assumptions, and most importantly, inspire you to find a way to create impact in your corner of the world. I'm Tangia Renee, creator and host of That's What She Did. Thank you for joining me and your fellow inspiration junkies as we learn from and connect with today's brilliant women. Hey, friends, it's me again, your host, Tangier Renee, and you are listening to That's What She Did Podcast, season five, episode 14. Man, has it been a week. A lot is happening, and unless you've been living on the moon, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the uprising for justice, for Black Lives Matter movement, to put an end to police brutality over policing of communities of color, just a collective cry for justice. And this is an important time that we are experiencing right now. And I feel that it's important that we continue to keep the focus there on this uprising, on this movement to create transformation in our country. So to that end, there's not going to be a brand new episode released this week. What I'm going to do is a throwback episode from season four, which it was episode five. It was our race to dinner episode. And I think this episode is is perfect to, to use now to bring back... Um, In this particular week, because of everything that's going on, this episode speaks directly to what we're experiencing, to why we're experiencing it, um, to why a movement for transformation is needed in this country. So we talk about uh, white supremacy, fragility. Uh, We even talk about colorism in this episode, and it's a really important one. If you were new to this show, this is the most controversial episode we've ever done. For some people, they found what we talked about um, in this episode to be outrageous, uh, which was surprising to me, although not completely. So I'd love for you to give it a listen if you haven't heard it yet, or if you have, give it a listen and see what new realizations come up for you. Um, As usual, you can reach me on social media. The place that I hang out the most is on Instagram. So feel free to hit me up there on Instagram. That's what she did podcast. And let me know your thoughts. Before we get started, I do want to say that I'm participating in a social media campaign with Women of Color Podcasters Network, and we came together and decided to put together a joint statement and call to action for podcasters, bloggers, YouTubers, influencers, digital content creators across the spectrum to encourage action to get involved in some meaningful way and encourage our followers to do the same. So I'm going to share the statement here. It'll be posted in the show notes as well with a list of different ways to get involved, to support the movement and demand justice in our country. Here's that statement. We are podcasters united to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and many, many others at the hands of police. This is a continuation of the systemic racism pervasive in our country since its inception, and we are committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that Black Lives Matter. We believe that that Black lives are more important than property. We believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we are witness to it. In creating digital media, we have built audiences that return week after week to hear our voices. And we will use our voices to speak against anti-Blackness and police brutality. And we encourage our audiences to be educated, engaged, and most importantly, to take action. Again, in the show notes that you will be able to find on our website, that's what she did podcast.com. There is a list of ways to get involved right now from wherever you are. Um, And support this and make your voice heard. Whatever you do, I hope that you will use your voice. I hope that you will speak out. I hope that you will take action and encourage those around you to take action as well. Thank you again for coming back week after week and being willing to give me your time and attention and listen to what I have to say. It always is amazing and so humbling to me, and I appreciate you so much. But again, this week, I want to make sure that I am supporting in every single way that I can think of. And so I do not want to distract from this important movement that's happening in the U.S. right now. That's where the attention should be. So for this week, we're going to do the throwback episode of Race to Dinner. Next week, we'll come back um, with our regularly planned, scheduled episode But keep in mind that after this, there's only two episodes left. And then season five is a wrap. It's going quick. I hope that you've enjoyed this season as much as I have. I hope that you've enjoyed our guests as much as I have. And as soon as we wrap the season, we are going right into production for season six, which is themed. She wrote that. And we are bringing together authors across all genres who are finding a way with their work to impact today's social issues. And I am saving three spots. Um, So if you are a woman author across the gender spectrum and want to be a guest on this show because your work is impacting today's social issues, I'd love to hear from you. Send me your pitch to that's what she did podcast at gmail.com and for our listeners next season is going to be fun for a lot of reasons because we already have such amazing authors lined up but every author has provided an original copy of their book and each episode we will be giving away that book to an audience member so stay tuned The best way that you can support this show is by showing up each week, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss new episodes or announcements as they are available. And please share with your friends, tell them why they should be listening to this show. And if the podcast catcher, the app you're using to listen to this show allows you to leave a review, please do leave a review. You have no idea how much your reviews are are helpful to spreading this work to other people. Thanks again. Now let's jump into our throwback episode for this week, Race to Dinner. smooch Now I want to introduce you to this week's guests. There are two. I have the co-founders, Syra Rao and Regina Jackson, of Race to Dinner. Race to Dinner is an organization that's working to dismantle white supremacy in a super unique and unusual way. Co-founders Syra and Regina meet with groups or individual white women over dinner to discuss white supremacy and all of the ways that it impacts people of color, and more specifically, how white women specifically intentionally or not uphold white supremacy and how they can work to dismantle it. It's really fascinating how this organization came to be, and I will let you listen to them tell it. But what they're doing is definitely unique. I think it's pushing the envelope, and it's an interesting way of using personal narrative as a form of activism to have tough, unusual, to say the least, but necessary conversations. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. It was definitely very interesting and eye-opening in a lot of ways. And if you ask me what they're doing, is a little bit crazy. But hey, to each their own, and I totally respect it. So let's check it out. Welcome back to another episode of That's What She Did podcast. I'm thrilled to have this conversation today with Sarah and Regina because they're doing something I think is really innovative and unusual and impactful in the most... What's the word I'm looking for? Impactful way. It's so mm-hmm. it's it can. For some people, it's going to feel like a punch in the face, right? And maybe some people sort of figuratively need that. So we're going to have this conversation, continue the conversation of this season, which is activism and storytelling in the intersection of those things. Um, but we're going to take sort of a unique perspective on two women that are doing this in a very different way with a sort of much more out there approach that I'm really interested in discussing. So you two are doing something called Race to Dinner. What is it?
1: Race to Dinner actually started when Syrah ran for office. She ran for, um, against Diana DeGette, mm-hmm. for a uh, national representative And I worked on her campaign, and I got to know Syrah, and I thought, oh, you know, I really love Syrah. I'm going to support her. Well, she would get numerous calls and texts and emails from white women who wanted to go to breakfast, lunch, dinner, coffee with her. And a friend of mine, white woman friend, said, oh, I'm just done with Cyrus. She hates white people. I'm not going to follow her anymore. And then in the next breath, she says, but will you see if she'll go to lunch with me? <laughs> so I go to Cyrus, and I said, so-and-so wants to go to lunch with you. And she said, Regina, she says, I'm not doing that anymore. But what I will do, she said, if you do it with me, she said, I will have a dinner. With white women, a group of white women, and we can sit down and talk about race. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got started. And when they asked for the breakfast, lunches, and dinners,
2: it wasn't to hang out and shoot the shit. Mm-hmm. It was to let me know that I was wrong, um, that I was angry, that I was divisive, that I was crazy. And, and and if I was right, I wasn't right about them. It was the not all white women, not me. So it was explicitly to tone police, gaslight, and and set themselves apart. Um, they never paid. I, it was like out of pocket. I had to pay for babysitters, pay for dinner, and then like pay for extra therapy that week to deal with <laughs> the, the <laughs> trauma that, that happened to these backlash. things. Backlash.
0: So why did you initially run for office?
2: I ran for office because after uh, the election of 2016, I had a racial awakening. I had been in the closet of my race. I was what you'd call a coconut brown on the outside, white on the inside. And... um I realized that the Democratic Party was every bit as racist as the Republican Party. You can't um, like party labels can't make you impervious mm-hmm. to the history and the reality of this country. So just because you're a Democrat doesn't suddenly make you not racist or not misogynistic. And the woman who's been in office now for 20 will be 24 years. Diana DeGette, is a super liberal white woman. And I put that in quotes. Um, because she is every bit as problematic as any Republican and every bit as problematic as Nancy Pelosi. And so I talked a lot about in 2017 white privilege, using your white privilege to dismantle uh, white supremacy, using your privilege for this and that. And I wrote and I sort of had over the course of the year uh, breaking up with the Democratic Party over this issue. I went to Washington in October of 2017, met with a bunch of U.S. senators, some of whom are running for president now. Um, recognized how completely backwards and um, lack of critical race analysis they had around anything, which is deeply problematic when you're talking about federal legislation.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And I came back and I wrote an article called I'm a brown woman who's breaking up with the Democratic Party. That was December of 2017. Got published in the Huffington Post. That's a story. I couldn't get it published anywhere, Mm
3: -hmm. even though
2: I work in media and I knew all these editors. And it took a black editor who it, it landed in her lap and so she greenlit it and um, it went viral. And in January of 2018 to so last year, you know, there's a lot of it went viral, tons of emails. You're a party trader. You're this. You're that. And then a bunch of people saying, well, why don't you challenge Diana to get? And I'm thinking to myself, can't we expect better of our congressional representatives without actually running for Congress? But then I had this, you know, I have class privilege. I can afford child care. I'm able bodied. I have able bodied, able bodied privilege. I can crisscross the district. So if I'm going to actually take my own advice, I need to use my privilege, and I did. So I entered the race. I was one of the last people in the country to file with the FEC, and knowing full well that it was a huge long shot. But to give you a sense of how hungry people are for change, in five months, no name recognition, no corporate money, um, I, got, I, was, I was told that in February I had a 2% chance of getting over 12%. I ended up with 34% of the vote, mm-hmm. so, and, and I ran on an explicitly Anti-racist platform.
0: I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm from Denver. Uh, I remember the controversy. I think I was I was out of the country when you initially like, announced that you were running or filed or or whatever happened, and then I left and I didn't pay attention to what was happening. And I came home and it was like there was an explosion that happened while I was gone, and I was like, what? who's Syra? like what <laughs> i you know that <laughs> like, i was like what is happening and you know for for our listeners that don't know it was a big deal in denver and i remember being taken aback by the backlash mm-hmm. like you were to your point you were a long shot and I was like, why are you why are these people so angry? Like, she's a long shot. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, you know, probably only black and brown people are going to vote for her. And this is Denver. So we're the minority. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what, yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Are, why is this reaction mm-hmm. so strong? Because I, I was telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And what
2: we know now, what well, we've always known, but what we certainly know after, you know, the dozen or so race to dinners we've had is nothing makes white people angrier. Than when you talk about racism and their complicity in racism. They're fine when you talk about racism as a thing in the past, or the Republicans are racist, or the or racism is in the South. But the minute you make white liberals complicit in white supremacy, they will go crazy. And then accuse you
1: of being crazy.
0: So how do we get here though? It's because now race to dinner is is it a nonprofit? No. No. Okay. No.
1: we got here because we started doing these dinners and we really made a commitment and you know one of the differences between sire and i i'm really old enough to be her mother i was born in 1950 well Everything in America was black and white. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how it was. You know, didn't really grow up with a lot of white friends. Everybody just kind of stayed in their place. So I have no big expectations of white people. I know if I get anything in this life, it's going to be, you know, maybe one or two people will help me. But it's really coming from community, my community.
3: Okay. Mm
1: -hmm. And... That's how I approached it, and Syra approached it very differently. But I think the combination of how we view the world is what makes it successful.
0: So, God, I have so many questions. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I purposely come into these interviews not writing down questions, because yeah, I want hey. it to be an authentic conversation that isn't based on, like, whatever my agenda was when I was writing down questions. Okay, so you, Syra, specifically... And through you as well, Regina, talk a lot about it's not just racism that you're talking. You're, you're specifically talking about anti-blackness, yes. which is another it's a deeper level. It's something that a lot of people, I think, have never even considered. Like They don't even know what those words in a right. sentence mean.
1: Well, I think communities of color know what
0: it sure. means mm-hmm. because
1: we have that in our community. Right. You know, the darker your complexion, the less value you have. And that's oppression.
0: Well, I think black people know what it means. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm Afro-Latina and I have white skin privilege. I'm very light complexed. And you know, in in the Latino community anti-blackness is rampant. Ramp. It's rampant, yeah. Right? Yeah, and, right? In other communities of color, oh, yes. it's rampant. And when I have said to people who are not black, who are people mm-hmm. of color, like you can't say stuff like that just because you are brown mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're not yeah. racist. Mm-hmm it's confusion at first. And we have to have this whole conversation about it. So I think it's important to note that it's not just a conversation around racism. Like you're specifically calling colorism and Mm anti-blackness to the table. Yes. How do you arrive at that?
1: Well, I think Syra can probably explain it best because she openly admits she will start the dinners with, I'm anti-black and you all are racist. So I think what's very confusing...
2: For white people, and frankly, I'll just speak specifically to Asians because that's my community, is you can be on the receiving end of oppression mm-hmm. and also on the giving end of oppression. You can be part of the problem and you can be part of the solution. So when you look at the ecosystem of white supremacy, who's at the top? White men. Right. Who's right below white men? White women. White women. Who's at the bottom?
0: Black, Black women. people. Yeah. Black women. Sure.
2: Right. And then uh, in- indigenous women. Mm-hmm. And everyone else kind of falls in between, and and the way it works is the more adjacent you are to whiteness, the more power you have. So what do you do? You you a you take the abuse from white people, and then you inflict the abuse on those below you. This is and then the flip of that is critical race theory: is you uplift the most marginalized in our communities in this country. It's black and indigenous women, and mm-hmm. all boats rise.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I think it's imperative for all of us to understand where we fall in the ecosystem, where we are harmed, and where we are committing harm. And I hold myself to every bit of the standard that I am asking white people, which is Indians, specifically South Asians, can we please acknowledge our anti-blackness? Guess how excited South Asians are to acknowledge their anti-blackness. So I'll anecdotally tell you, growing up in Richmond, Virginia... In the '70s and '80s, I grew up with a tiny Indian community. We were literally—I was othered at birth. Like the doctors came by and asked, basically, didn't even know what we were. My dad was listed on my birth certificate as African American. My mom was listed as Caucasian. They literally didn't know. Um, and we'd go to like you know we'd have these dinner parties with like the ten Indian families in Richmond at that time. Half the party was spent about the Indian Indians talking about how racist the Americans were. So let's be clear. Americans were white people. Mm-hmm. They would never say white people, but they'd say black people and Chinese people and Indian people and Pakistani people. But Americans, we knew, you know, were white people. So they talk about how racist the, the Americans were. And then the next breath, they would say something very derogatory about black people. Mm-hmm. And there was just literally no acknowledgement of that. I mean, it was as explicit as that, you know, and I remember asking, my mom wants my late mother once about it. And she just said, that's just the way it is, you know, and that's basically it's that's a code for cognitive dissonance, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and so um, until and unless we're able to take a good look at ourselves, we can't expect others to do it. And so white women are born and raised to feel like they're the most put upon people on the planet because of white men. Because white men have more power than them. I would argue that white women probably have more privilege than white men. But they viewed themselves as victims their whole lives. So enter, you know, left stage, brown and black women saying, no, you have white skin privilege. They go crazy. And this is the first time, frankly, that like whole scale society is holding them accountable.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And they don't know what to do. They, and maybe if, if there's anything good that's happened with Donald Trump, it has busted open this conversation. But white men have been on the hook for racism and sexism forever. You know, not that they care. Mm-hmm. They, they, they continue, you know, going on their way. They have, white women have never been held accountable. The fingers have never been pointed at white women and they have really lost their damn minds.
1: Is that the
0: point of this, of Race to Dinner, accountability? The point,
1: yes. The point is, first of all, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. So acknowledge your role in white supremacy. You know, any time you have a powerful group of white women, and when I say powerful, they have position power. Mm-hmm. Okay. We just said they were under. A lot of them have access to resources. They have everything they need, but they are sitting by why white elementary school children are being murdered in their schools so the gun industry can make a profit. Mm-hmm. You need to acknowledge your complicity in that. And, you know, if they had immediately, the first school shooting, we had gotten with it. See, people have a, a, a this real need to not be interested in anything unless it impacts them personally. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who loves to say, there's nothing like enlightened self-interest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if my kid's not being shot in school, well, you know, I really don't care. Yeah, mm-hmm. And we all need to care. We're all here to help each other. That's the bottom line. And, and from a sort of um, strategic place,
2: uh... White women have, by and large, chosen racial solidarity. And by racial solidarity, I mean whiteness. And by whiteness, I mean white supremacy. So beyond the 53% of white women who voted for Donald Trump, the 47 who did not, they are in some ways just as culpable because most of them will talk about those white women as them and they. If 53% of Indians in this country voted for Donald Trump, I would, ha- it would be a problem for me, even though I didn't do that. Right. Right. Like this whole, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. So from my perspective, this is a strategic way of actually trying to bust open the conversation and implore white women to acknowledge the harm they've caused, to start dismantling their own white supremacy, so that these are two precursors to the third point, which is then they can actually choose gender solidarity over racial solidarity, and then we overthrow the patriarchy. They don't recognize that – or they do – but they're benefiting so much from from white male white men that they're benefiting from the privilege. If white women stopped pandering to white men and joined black, indigenous, and brown women, if they joined us, it would be over for the white men. But why? But why? Why would they want to do that? Because they well, they're benefiting.
0: Well, why do these women show up to dinner? Well, that's a great question.
1: <laughs> that's what I can't
0: figure that's out. That's a great question.
1: Well, because. Uh, we've we've learned a couple of things. One of them is they do want to sh- spout their civil rights resume. They want to say, oh, I volunteer here, and I do this, and I do that. They want to do that. But what we do... Mm-hmm.
2: And, and, That's why they a lot of them initially sign up. And,
1: and it's a real issue because we don't let them talk that much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they're used to centering everything on themselves. Right. So we purposely don't let them have control of the conversation because that's what it becomes. A lot of them will say, well, I just want to learn. And you know what? I One of my rose is a lady named uh, Jane Elliott. White lady. White lady named Jane Elliot. Have you ever heard of the brown eyes, blue eyes experiment? Yes. Well, she created that experiment. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Okay. She's yes. in her 80s. Now. Yes. And Jane Elliot poses a question to a huge white audience. And she'll say, okay, how many of you white people would trade places with a black person in our community? Yes, this is a
0: famous YouTube video now. Yeah. Okay.
1: So, so, you know, and they, by and large, nobody wants to change. And she said, that tells me, you know, what's going on. Mm -hmm. So we say, stop denying that you don't know, acknowledge it and let's move forward from there.
0: So the, so of the group of women that show up some of them want to prove their wokeness Mm -hmm. right and who are the others that show up
2: they so there are so it's you know the it's the woke you know the back patting olympics i'm going to like tick off my resume um then there are and and i would say that's the majority then there is a minority and those white women are going to be the potential agents for for dramatic change in this country. The ones who actually are ready and willing and able to open up their souls, look deep within and start taking the message elsewhere. So it's a. I mean, it can get intense. I mean, for the most part, the dinners go um, in 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 sort of the in the same way. There's one or two that gets upset. Someone might cry. They have to leave if they cry. Um, Usually more often than not, someone gets really angry and bitchy and passive aggressive, which we shut down, uh, which makes them even angrier and more bitchy and more passive aggressive. Um, There are a couple people, usually one or two at the table, who sincerely like can recognize the behavior that's happening and they'll try to shut down and like explain how what their fellow white woman has done is problematic. Um, But for the most part, I think people come Uh, to make themselves feel better and check off a box and be able to tell their friends that they've done it with the exceptions. And then the exceptions are sort of amazing and miracles because they stick with it. So they will actually continue the work. They'll continue the reading. What we always say, Regina and I say, is this is the beginning. This is not the end. So the civil rights resume readers think that this is like a you know i i went to a I um i went to a fish concert this weekend or you know whatever like
0: fish the, concert. Uh, yeah. it's like a very colorado yeah. thing to say but,
2: <laughs> but that's it checking the box right the ones who are in it are in it and and they're down a path and they're and, and what we tell them is if you want to keep doing the work we're we're just we're here to kick it off you guys Have need to to, to continue to meet and continue to dismantle and continue to talk. Some of them do it for the most part. They, I mean they can't, they won't they they, they they can't and they won't because in their minds their lives don't depend on it. And what we're trying to get across is, I Hours know do.
1: I yeah. also know
2: even like aside from it being the right thing to dismantle and acknowledge my own institutional anti-blackness, I know in my heart of hearts that my liberation is tied to Regina's liberation. It is so we are in this together our liberation is tied our what we're trying to get white women to see is that their liberation is tied to ours and they have point blank the last one we had point or the penultimate one we had point blank said to us we don't see that yet we do not see how our liberation is tied to to yours and we've even had them say and these are like you know upper middle class white women living in Stapleton who are doctors and lawyers It gets so raw and so honest that we had one of them say, I don't see your humanity. I don't see the two of you as the same as as me. I don't see your children and your grandchildren. Thank you for being honest. That's a great place to start. That's a great
1: place to start. What I always like to tell these white women is this work, if you're really doing this work, it's not easy. You're not gaining anything. If you're doing anything, you're losing. You're using, we had one woman say to I, at one of our dinners that she was afraid of what her father would think. You know, you're going to lose family members. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose long-term relationships because you are trying to help people understand how their white supremacy and privilege and racism is hurting other people.
0: What, who are the outliers? How many do you think there have been that have been like, okay, I, I think I get Would it?
2: Would you say what? Five? Yeah. Five percent?
0: How many of these have you done?
2: About 12, 15. 12 to 15. Yeah. Five percent.
0: How do you do that? I mean, so here's the thing that, that I always come back to is as, as somebody who is mixed and is who my race is black, but I am not black presenting. Right. And because of that, because of the color of my skin, I am very aware of how I'm perceived by the world. And it makes me sort of, you know, safe for people to spout their racism even mm-hmm. when they don't know that it's racism. Exactly. And it becomes very exhausting to have to be the person that's like, you're oh, Everybody stop. I need to talk to you about what you just said because it wasn't cool. And here's all the reasons why it's not okay for you to say those things. And I'm offended by it. And here's why. And here's the impact that it had on me. And and, like do the whole thing. Right. And there are some days where I honestly am like, I just want to like go to the grocery store and get the damn tea that I came from and and go home and not have to deal with this. And so it's a. I don't know that I would sign up to do this because for me, again,
1: (laughs) my expectations are like zero Mm -hmm. and that's how you really get through life is when you lower your expectations of other people, my expectations are on me. And if I see shit, I'm calling it shit. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. If I see something, I'm calling it. I don't care who it is and I'm cool with that. And other people need to learn to be cool this is who i am and i'm not going to change and i you know did you read about my incident at king supers
0: no i didn't
1: okay please let's
0: let's go there wow Uh, a few
1: weeks ago i was in king supers and i was in the customer service line not checking out but the customer service line where you buy bus tickets and that and there was um A white woman, she was the first. She was already being helped, so she was at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a very little tiny Latina woman who came up like to my shoulder. Now I'm Mm
3: 5'1", so you know how small (laughs) she must have
1: been. Well, she was trying to get her cart past this white woman, and she couldn't. Nobody said anything. There's three white people, myself, this little. So I say to the white woman, if you would move your cart back a little, she could get past And she says to me, and who's going to make me, you? (laughs) And I said, you can take your fucking white privileged ass and go straight to hell. What happened? Well, I'm going to tell you. So, um,
0: Because there was either tears or cursing or the cops were called. Well, she
1: got out (laughs) of line. She finished and she called security.
0: And I'm in line, and I'm going, call security,
1: call him. Get him. him. (laughs) So I go out of line, and I go over to where she's talking to the security guard, and I said, ma'am, is it so hard to be a decent human being? And she says to him, see? And she pushed her card into me. Yeah. And he goes, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And then I looked at her, and I say, you're a fucking asshole. (laughs) And I walked out of the store, and he walked with me. He said, "You know, if you were to call the police, she could have been charged with assault." I said, "I know that, but
0: but I'm a decent human being." And also, it endangers you. Yeah, 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 I I said I'm I'm a a decent human being.
1: And calling a
2: black person calling the police does not doesn't usually help. It's not going to help necessarily. Well, I
1: have an ace in my pocket that I don't like to bring.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just, I God, I don't know. I mean, I I say I'd like to be a fly on the wall in a room where that's happening just to witness how that whole thing goes down. But to do it willingly over and over and over again. Well, and look,
2: I have a different perspective than Regina because just like she said, you know, we've, we come from different times and different places. Mm -hmm. And so I intimately know white people and have known white people my whole life. They used to be my very best friends, like family to me. And um, I have been, since coming out as a racialized person, in some ways, it's like it's someone a black woman recently described it as like coming out of the closet, and you lose a whole lot of people when you do that. And I've lost, I would say, ninety five percent of the people from my former life, mm-hmm. and um, they didn't they don't like it. They don't like the way I speak. They they think I'm a re- reverse racist. I'm angry. I'm this. I'm that and the other. They don't want to hear it. I've been tone policed. You know, if you just said things differently. Um, you know, you've now crossed a line. What are you doing? And this is all from a place of scarcity. And this, a lot of us don't speak up because of scarcity. What happens if we lose all of our friends? Guess what? I have awesome friends. Regina, I trust Regina with my life. You know, you make new friends who actually see your whole self mm-hmm. and see your humanity. Um, what happens professionally? I mean, white people weaponize economics against us all mm-hmm. the time. And it has happened. Yeah. I have lost this, that, and the other But again, this is back to if you can truly stand, and and I'm coming from a place of privilege, being able to do this. I recognize that. But if you can stand in the notion that I'm giving the finger to false notions of scarcity, other things open up. Mm -hmm. Race to Dinner has really taken off. I'm starting a nonprofit that I'm actually having a pretty easy time funding right now because people want to... Invest in me, not the not the people from before, but all new people. people. Mm -hmm. And guess what? There are white women that I have met in the past three years who have become very close friends because they've met me, in my post racialized (laughs) self. They see me as a brown woman, because I see myself as a brown woman. And so, I. But all that being said, I have a much harder time because the these women, I know them. I know exactly. Um, what they're thinking, what they're doing. I know how they spend their money. I know how they talk about us. I know how they talk about each other. Mm-hmm. And we say this to them every time. The only people they hate more than us, or me, they, like, they think Re- Regina's fine, they hate me. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> um, is each other. Yeah. And mm-hmm. not a single one, except for that one woman at the last mm-hmm. one, has denied that. And I said, I know exactly how you all talk about each other. The minute... One of you leaves leaves the room or the minute the party is over, I, I, you know, kiss, kiss. Oh, my God. It's great to see you. It's great to see you. We totally need to get together. We totally need to get together. Let's get drinks. Let's get drinks. That bitch is so fat. She's gained five pounds. Like, you know, she's such an asshole. She's stupid. That's how they talk. And so there's not a sisterhood. So there's a difference. There's not a sisterhood among white women. There's racial solidarity. very. Different, they don't. They wouldn't go to bat for each other in terms of heart to heart, you know. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to being against us, they are in line. They all get right in line. Major racial solidarity.
0: Do you think that there that that awareness exists no. for most white women? No, they don't have any, but they but they know they know they haven't given it
2: much
1: thought because they haven't
3: had they to. Have to. They don't have to. Yeah. Right.
1: And that's the stuff we talk about. Mm -hmm. We talk about that. We say, you know, you have the privilege of not worrying about 33 million Americans being removed from the voter rolls since 2013. You don't have to worry about that. When are you going to start caring about something besides yourself? Well, but you know what? They don't even care if their kids are getting shot up. You know, so so if you don't even care about your own kids, how are we going to make you care about something else?
2: Your own kids and the earth, you mm-hmm. know, yep. capitalism and white supremacy, which are each other's best friends, uh, have b- b- burned the earth. And guess what? The earth is going to be fine. The earth is kicking us out. The earth is kicking out the poison. Right. So they don't even ca- they don't care about their kids. They don't care about their spouses. They don't care about themselves. They care about they don't care about the, the longevity of of human beings, right? Yeah. So trying to get them to actually care about us. I mean, I'll be honest with you, it's a long shot. I ask myself all the time, why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, I could just go softly into the night, but but if not us, who? then who? And I've got two kids, Regina's got grandkids. Like if not us, then
0: who? Then who? I it really like sure, but Just to play devil's advocate a little bit, like there's a lot of ways to advocate or be an activist. There's a there's but campaigning. There's like there's so many other
1: things that you can do. What we're doing when you're when you're out there like with Black Lives Matter Mm or whatever, I think you're talking to the choir personally. You know, your audience is other black people, maybe other black people, uh, you know, or other people of color. This way we're talking to the actual protagonists, you know, we're talking to the people who are causing the harm. And to me, I had lunch yesterday uh, with a white friend, and we were, you know, talking about all this stuff. And she tried to tell me, well, you know, people don't really know. And I repeated the Jane Elliott story. I said, so don't tell me you don't know. Mm -hmm. I said, because you know. And look, there's a bunch of, like, this is a big problem. White
2: supremacy is a big problem. So there's not our way is right and that way is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I think that that's a, that comes from a scarcity model. Mm-hmm. Like There's other ways to be an activist. Everyone should be an activist. I mean, you don't need... There's no diploma for activism. If you are right. willing to speak up, you're an activist. Exactly. So pick whatever you... Pick. Well,
0: sometimes it's just existing in a place. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just... Yes, Denver. <laughs> just, being... just living in Denver is
2: activism. <laughs> um, living in Seattle as a person of color is activism. Uh, look, I I get it. I... Obviously, I understand political activism. I ran for Congress last year, um, but I have come to a place where I no longer believe. And by the way, it takes all kinds. So I have tremendous respect for people who run for office, who get into office, who run for re-election. I have tremendous respect for the local officials. I have tremendous respect for the squad. It takes all kinds, Mm -hmm. inside and outside. From my perspective, I believe that the whole system is is flawed i mean flawed is an understatement we have a constitution that was created by colonizers so Mm. when people say oh is this constitutional i don't really give a fuck if it's constitutional because who created the constitution you know like genocidal colonizers so the the government has never worked for people like us ever by design so when people say the system isn't working the system is
0: humming along beautifully as it was designed to sure so
2: I think for my, in my we're all here for a very short time. Whatever time I have left, I'm focusing on cultural, changing the cultural DNA to the extent that I, or helping to change, and telling the truth. I mean, telling the truth as it turns out is an extremely radical act.
1: Yes, and it's hard to do.
2: Sure.
0: Is there an end goal?
1: I think it for me the end goal is to. Help people understand that it's work and keep them engaged in the work mm-hmm. because as we know better, we do better. My end goal, I mean, and, and
2: someone, I actually was asked this not too long ago by a reporter and, and it was a white reporter and, and he was like, God, that's so such a low bar. And I was like, but think about the ramifications. My goal in life before I die is to have white people no longer get upset and fragile by the Term white people.
0: <laughs> is <Isn't> that a <laughs> little far? <part? laughs> but what does that say? What right? does it tell us? Because <laughs> then
2: white people suddenly recognize that they're not the default,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and they, just like you and you and me, are racialized. And once that happens, everything and anything is possible. That's that's why that's my goal. Mm-hmm. It's the beginning. We're not even close to that
0: though, no. right? Have you seen any clear outcomes from some of the women that you've talked to? I
1: think we have. um, A couple of women that we've had dinners with ended up helping us in this work. Mm -hmm. You know, they've actually come and they are helping us in this work. And I think that's important. Um, You know, I think there are some people we uh, just started doing a... Patreon on our website, Mm -hmm. racetodinnerwebsite.com, and people are signing up to read what we post, uh, you know, about, you know, all that stuff they don't want to talk about. We're writing about it and we're saying So
0: on your Patreon, you're doing like the insider's notes from the dinners.
1: Notes and just
2: musings on, yeah, things that we see and things that like just kind of musings on white supremacy as it pertains specifically to white women. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I would say in terms of change, there's been a couple. And and again, I want to come back to this. This is not for the faint of heart. Right. Oh, no, no. Our first (laughs) dinner, we actually had one of our friends who's another Indian woman stood up and left. And she was like, fuck all this shit. (laughs) Because someone (laughs) said So one of the white women was like, "Well, what are we supposed to do?" And she was like, "Well, you can st- start by stop being such a racist bitch." Got up and left, and she was like, "Are you both out of your minds?" So it's definitely not. So we know that, like. yeah. The formula—it's—it's—it's it's it's, its its not just not for everyone. It's for like I don't and 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 quite frankly, it's unclear to me how long I can even do this. Mm-hmm. You know, the amount of things that I have to like, you know, rock myself back and forth ten times, light a candle here, and you know, sage. Light, yeah, sage, all of
0: meditate, it. Yeah, totally. pray. See,
1: I don't have to do all of that about
2: <laughs> really, yes, she I really has don't. no
3: expectations. Yeah,
1: and and about six years ago, I don't know if I would call this a spiritual experience or I don't know. I don't know what I would call it. But I had an awareness that everything will be okay, so I don't worry about
0: anything. Well, it's pretty. Amazing. I would need an exorcism. I'm pretty. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's it's. Or I might be arrested yeah. because. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing: that's
2: it's. The same things happen, right? Like the that not me, your friends must have been specifically awful white women you know you're so angry all of this stuff and you would think at some point um i would get used to it mm-hmm. i just continue to hold out hope i have to otherwise i wouldn't do and, and as soon as i stop you know as soon as i stop thinking it's possible for white women to Something change happens. um it, then i'll stop doing it because then there's then it's just straight up you know being a masochistic person Right. Right. Um, Or sadism, whichever one that is. Um, But there, there are there are enough white women. And I'll tell you, like even the first the first dinner that was hosted was by a white woman friend I made when I moved to Denver. And she's a lawyer. She's a very successful lawyer. And she and I have had like, you know, there have been nights of us going out and crying and and. Guess what she does? She stands back up the next day. She dusts herself off and she gets back gets on the back horse. Up, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's because of that and that's happened. It's happening more. It's happening more, mm-hmm. which is really interesting and exciting because I do think that on some level, if you keep stick to the message and say it enough times, mm-hmm. you know, this other reporter in Denver was like, I think the reason people are fascinated by what you're doing, and what you're saying is you haven't you haven't strayed. From what you're saying, like Mm -hmm. you keep saying the same thing over and over and over again, and it's like marketing. You need to hear it seven different times from seven different Mm -hmm. people in seven different ways before it even lands, you know, on your brain. And that's it's just saying the same thing over and over again.
0: I don't think that's why, though.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that I know is because people will say to me, you know, when they when they really hear how bad it is, they'll go, "God, how do you black women just go on?" And I'm like is there an option? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, you could lay
0: down and die or you can live
1: your life. You
0: pick yourself
1: up and you go on and you, I do affirmations myself. And after the, uh, after the King Supers, I added two. One was, "I am not putting up with any white people nonsense." Period. I don't care who it is. And the other is, "I love the Twitter affirmation. <laughs> <Yes>.
3: <laughs> that's a good one.
1: I will, I will come to the defense of oppressed people. Yeah, so great.
3: That's
2: that's just me. The two go hand in hand. So you said you don't think that's what it is. So what is it?
0: I think what it is is that people in general but particularly white women are afraid to talk about race oh my god yes, yes, like and so yeah. and All so here's are. two women of color that are like i'll talk to you about race mm-hmm. no expectations like you don't yeah. have to pay me you no, don't have to oh they do they pay, do pay, do. pay yes. you yes. Yes. okay yes. good i was gonna ask you about yes. that yes. <laughs> yeah we wouldn't do this okay no, we're not so that. you don't have to like go through anything specific like you don't it's it's you're creating a safe environment right like yes. this is a private conversation. And I think that's why because where else are they going to do it? You're right. You're right. Where else? You're right. They can't talk about it with each other. No, we've
2: had a couple of women. You know, that's a good point. Um, We've had a couple of women say to us, um, it's been a relief. Mm. Like, um, it feels like. We have been carrying around. It is. It, racism is the elephant in the room. You can talk about, you can talk about classism. Mm-hmm. You can talk about ableism. Mm-hmm. You can talk about sexism. sexism. You cannot talk it all about links racism. Back. Yeah. And so there is, for some, a tremendous um, sense of relief. Uh, but I don't know that that's... The, that hasn't come across as the driving force for most of the people there. But there's certainly some who... Um, have walked away saying that they feel be- that they, they feel like they're able to actually start doing the work because it feels like finally the elephant has left the room.
1: We've actually had quite a few white women who are either raising biracial children or they have adopted black children. Mm-hmm. So
0: How do they confront their racism? Well, some of them. <laughs> How do they handle that? Mean,
1: there was one woman, and yeah. it, it was very sad to us because, um, and I have to tell you, Syrah, I love that, Syrah. So the woman says uh, she doesn't really say anything to friends and family when they say racist things around her child. And Syrah said, okay, that's like saying someone could rape your child. And you're not going to say anything. Mm -hmm. She said it's the same thing.
2: It
3: does.
1: Yeah. And she
2: said it's different because white women are the first to, rightly so, like wave the flag around rape culture and misogyny. But they're unable and unwilling to see that being on the receiving end of racism is just as violent. Mm -hmm. And what they also don't see, I can't tell you how many white women have talked to us like we're not women. Like we don't understand misogyny like we don't have we deal with misogyny in our own cultures right Um, and then we also deal with misogyny from white men and we deal with racism from white like the layers and layers and layers but and and so for them to actually start having a a, an inkling that um, that racism is just as violent and and frankly women of color are uh, victims of sexual assault at a far greater rate Mm -hmm. than white women Mm -hmm. and so in this specific instance that Regina was talking about, she got really upset. That woman, she was like, that's not true, that's not it, blah, blah, blah. And um, Regina said, you know, okay, so, you're, so I think it was a boy, right? Mm-hmm. Her, she said, fine, your your son is, what, nine years old? He's still cute, right? He's a cute little boy. In a couple of years, he's suddenly going to become a scary black man. Mm-hmm. And these relatives of yours who are saying racist things, it could escalate. And and she was like, well, I choose, she goes, I choose um, to let... My family can like, like shower him with love, rather than worry about like yeah. this like little stuff kind of thing. And we are like, oh, they're shit.
0: showering him with racism, there it's the opposite of love. Exactly. Of so. Exactly. Of <laughs> exactly.
1: But see, that's that's a woman who does not want to acknowledge that this cute little black boy is going to turn into to to the white people a very frightening young black man. Mm-hmm.
2: And we know what happens to when that when white people get scared of. Black men.
0: Well, um, how how long you think you're gonna keep doing this? I'm game. I don't.
2: (laughs) As long as for me, it's as long as I maintain the faith Mm -hmm. that there are possibilities that that a white woman here or there can can turn because the power of a white woman is enormous, right? So Mm -hmm. one of them turns and slowly starts turning. Her husband and starts parenting differently, and starts teaching her kids to be not 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 racist, to be actively anti-racist. Mm-hmm. Teaches her kids to see themselves as racialized people. Teaches her kids to talk about themselves as white boys and white girls. Um, it changes. It 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 could potentially change things, right? Um, let's see if it. I mean, again, we haven't been doing this long enough to to have any sense of. Uh, how it's going to work long term. I mean, seriously, in earnest, what, like eight months we've been doing it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It took long breaks over the summer. I yeah. mean, if we actually, we have a lot of interest. If we actually could, st- and we want to take a little holiday break, <laughs> you know. Um, in fact, we have, what's, what's exciting is there is sort of a lot of press kind of around it now. We have a woman photographer, a really amazing photographer out of New York City coming next month to do, um, to photograph a dinner. And then it's going to be in an exhibit at a huge um, New York City Photography exhibit next year, mm-hmm. the
1: largest one in the country. Largest one say? in the country.
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's once we it, we're gonna we're gonna ride it out for a little while. Sure. It's too early to to call it a day, uh, but I will say if there was a thesis that that we had that white women are as racist as white men and white women are the most privileged group in this country, I would say even from the dozen or so. Um, we're talking anecdotally at this point, that thesis has been proven in spades. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. What about anti-blackness in communities of color?
1: That's a huge... So that's the other thing we were talking about, (laughs) Julie. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it is a big issue in the black community. One of the things that I always predict, and I don't think I'm wrong on this, but we'll see. I'll probably be gone and buried. But I think at some point in this country that everybody's going to be basic beige and you won't be able to tell who's what i really believe maybe
0: that. i it's mean because that's
1: where we're headed mm-hmm. you know i really believe that we'll just keep changing what the what, what like what white. the standard is right yeah i mean you just change what white is and then
2: whiteness um prevails uh wait but what was the question i just I... it was about uh colorism oh colorism in... okay so yeah uh I have actually tried – so I spoke at a panel not too long ago, and it was three black women and me, and um, it was really interesting. Most of the crowd was black women.
1: You were there. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, at yeah, the yeah, Riveter? Yeah, we yes. That's yes, yes, where we yes. met. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, so I at the
2: end – Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so throughout, I was talking about um, anti-blackness in non-black communities of color, and a lot of women were making eye contact with me in the room, mm-hmm. Asian women, Latinx women, okay? And at the end, I asked the question to the, you know, non-black women of color in this room, raise your hand if you can acknowledge your institutional anti-blackness. Almost nobody. Yeah.
0: I don't and think I, anybody wrote, it was raised me, their hand.
2: Me and then Aparna, who was a, an Indian woman who was one of the um, organizers. Of right. the event. So what does that tell you? I mean, it's fragility, just like white fragility, just like white right. people saying they're, they're not racist. And I've I, and I've received since then three um, messages over LinkedIn from um, one Asian woman and two Latinx women saying they've been thinking about this a lot. And um, can I talk? This was, what, three weeks ago? Mm-hmm. I gave them my number immediately. I said, call me anytime. I haven't heard from any of them.
1: So yeah. it's, a, it's a big problem. One of the things I can tell you for sure is black people know. We know. That's yeah. what I tell We know. That you all think you're better than us. We yeah, know that. it's no surprise. We know it. Um, I think this whole colorism thing in the black community has law lo- has caused a lot of internalized oppression. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you see people lightening their skin, and I mean, I think in some of the Afri- African countries, they have a- actually. Outlawed skin lighteners.
0: Oh, really? Oh, that's awesome. that's yes, that's Yes,
1: because it was becoming such a, a problem, you know, with people. And I think we, you know, we are in internally oppressed with the hair issue. You know, there's just lots of issues um, that people internalize that have nothing to do with you. It's about white supremacy. Mm-hmm. So it's de- dismantling your own internalized uh,
2: oppression. oppression. So I was in India last Christmas with my family and. One of my um, cousins lives in a town called Coimbatore. It's not a big, it's not a big town. So it's not like Bombay or Delhi where you will actually see the errant white person walking around. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all brown people and dark, dark brown people. This is South India, mm-hmm. uh, and you you get there and you cruise around and you see the billboards, and the billboards are of Indian families who they. I, I was like, this is so weird. I mean, like none of these people look Indian and so my husband was like oh my god they're um, they're overexposing mm-hmm. the film mm-hmm. to make everyone white so I'm just you know cruising around getting more and more upset because this is not the United States this is India this is India India but the British you know brought mm-hmm. us genocide and all the amazing accoutrements to that self loathing you know when they left they left a tremendous amount of self loathing so I went to the mall and there was a big kids toy store and I was like Took a deep breath. I was like, I'm going to go in and, (laughs) you know, I'm going to see, surely there's got to be some Indian dolls, not one. They're all white dolls? The entire wall. There are more brown and black dolls in this country. (laughs) Wow. You know, a a whole, and and I said this to my cousin, he goes, God, I've never even thought about that. It's because it is so internalized. It's so ingrained and so... Indians are taught from the the minute they're born that white people rule, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where the colorism comes from. And again, it's back to the white adjacent as the lighter you are, the Mm -hmm. more close you are to whiteness and whiteness is the sun. It's the sun, it's the moon, it's the ocean, it's everything.
1: You know, one of the things that I've noticed here lately, now I don't watch a lot of network TV because I don't want to see you-know-who,
3: but <laughs> uh,
1: I will watch Netflix and Prime and everything, and what I have started to notice is how many black people are now in every series that's produced and everything. I mean, you still don't see a lot of Asian people, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you, there's black people in everything now.
0: Mhm. I think it's getting better. I mean, as a... As a mixed child, I was I always watched black TV because it was the only time I was ever going to see anybody that it was even remotely like me. And then now there's like Mixed-ish, which is a mixed family. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. You, you, you see more and more of it. I have noticed that network television generally is still far behind mm-hmm. like Netflix or um, these other shows, yes. these uh, streaming like Hulu mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why Why is it so hard for you? <laughs> well, because white men are still making
2: those yeah. decisions. Sure, yeah. sure. Money, money.
0: Yeah. Um, how can somebody learn more about Race to Dinner and what you guys are doing?
2: Go to the number 2 dinnercom and there's a lot of information and uh, yeah, I mean, our contact information is there. There's a, pl- a way to contact us there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter, at my name at Saira S A I R A S A M E E R A R A O and Regina has hers. Yeah, and we also
1: have a race to dinner Twitter account. Twitter account. Yeah, and race Insta- to dinner yeah, yeah. and Instagram yeah. and um, you know people can host dinners, they can attend a dinner, they can join our Patreon, they can join we our consult. Patreon.
2: So we did we've started which is kind of in some ways more interesting and less traumatizing uh-huh. for me is we start consulting. And so um sometimes white women will hire one of us to to talk to them for an hour and it's like it's kind of wild. It's like a, an hour of racial therapy for them and usually it just ends with them like telling us how guilty they felt their whole life which is not useful. So mm-hmm. white guilt, I want to be clear. It's not white useful. guilt without without action is actually white supremacy because all that's doing is recentering your feelings, mm-hmm. right? Um but being able to talk, you know, I had this one call with this white woman it was an hour. She must have talked for 50 minutes. And like the two seconds I talked, she got really fragile. And then she and then she talked about how she got fragile. But it was this whole thing about um, how bad she's felt, how it's, it was horrible growing up in in a house where things were said that were awful and how she realized that she and she was like, I mean, at the end of the 50 minutes of her talking, I'm just sitting there listening like, wow. Uh, and she was like, you know. I think I'm actually racist. And I was like, of course you are. You're a white person living in America. You come by it honestly. And it's the false binary of racism, bad, non-racist, good. Mm -hmm. That's what shuts down the conversation, right? Because then you can't even have the conversation because you're coming out of the gate saying somebody is bad or good. Mm -hmm. And that's all by design
0: fascinating um we're at about time but i thank you guys both of you so much for coming on the show and talking about this right i mean this is a show that really centers women of color the voices of women of color yes we love it and i am very explicit in that when i'm producing the show and in Never ceases to amaze me the sheer number of pitches I get from white women who completely ignore the fact that it's not for them <laughs> that it's not really for them like I have I have had white women on the show um but I curate very carefully who gets onto this platform because I'm very conscious of who is the audience that I'm serving. And it amazes me and then when I've had women push back on me like why can't you be why can't I be on the show or their publicists, sometimes Ooh. it's their publicists or you know whatever their PR company Reverse is. Races. And they're like, "Well, she's great and she wrote this book and she got these awards and we don't understand." And I'm like, "This is a show that centers <laughs> women of color." That's right. what it is. I have a ninety ten rule. So for mm-hmm. anybody listening, you want to be on the show. I have a ninety ten rule. If I have ten women in a season, only one of them is going to be white. If I find somebody that's appropriate for the theme right. or the topics that we're, like Jane that's Al- it. Jane Elliott come on the <laughs> like, show. <yeah, Yeah. exactly. laughs> that's it. And so I've been like, why is this? Why is this so hard for you to understand? Because they're
1: used to centering themselves. <laughs> yes.
0: Can't, deal. Can Can't deal. deal. Can't deal. Can't deal. Can't <laughs> deal. So, I appreciate that somebody's out there willing to do the work. I tell you, I am not willing to do that. Well, you have to take, we all have to take care of ourselves. Yeah. That's sure. number
1: one. And yes. you're doing this. You yes. know? I'm doing it's, this. It takes all kinds. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, then you have nothing to give anybody mm-hmm. else. So, I tell women of color especially, you are number one. Take care of yourself, mm-hmm. number one.
0: hmm. Well, I appreciate you both so much, and um, I hope there is a book in the works or something. There's there's actually a lot of stuff in the works. Good. Um, I will support that in any way I can, so um, you can consider this show a friend of Race to Dinner and the work that you're doing. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But thank you guys so much um, for our listeners. We're going to cut it here, but I'm going to encourage you to get in touch with Race to Dinner with Sarah and uh, Miss Regina Jackson. However you need to do that. If you know somebody that is willing to have this conversation, have the conversation. If you want to be involved, get involved. The easiest thing you can do is support via the Patreon mm-hmm. um, for Race to Dinner. And even easier than that, share this episode. Get it into other eardrums and let people know that this work is happening. It's a simple share on social media. Talk to your friends and family. Let them know what you're listening to. Let them know why they need to hear this show and this episode in particular. Um, just go do it. <laughs> just go do it. <laughs> Until next time, we are out.